welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Today's episode is supported by Artifact Uprising, a sister-owned company helping us honor the meaningful moments in our lives through printed photo gifts, books, and more. Their beautiful, minimalist products are made from recycled papers, reclaimed materials, and all here in the USA, which we love. Indeed. Artifact Uprising has helped us make tangible the intangible. You know, the moments that fly by or get lost on our phones Mm -hmm. or on our hard drives. They've helped bring those moments to life again for us to enjoy now and for years to come. Exactly. Learn more about Artifact Uprising and support Upbringing by visiting today's show notes or our partners page at upbringing.co. Now onto our conversation. Allison Mazurek is a small living expert, blogger, and designer based in a 600 square foot condo with her husband and children ages five and two in Vancouver, BC. Her blog, 600 Square Feet and a Baby, serves as an inspiring resource for those who are curious about intentional, sustainable, and beautiful living. We loved talking with Allison about why less is more, what living intentionally in a small space looks and feels like, and the ways in which she searches for joy in the toughest situations. We feel like you have just perfectly drawn that line between form and function in your 600 square foot home. And yeah, as Kelty said, it's been such an inspiration to us after moving into our two little teeny tiny farmhouses. Um, but we're kind of curious, we don't know much about how you came to live and raise a family in a traditionally small space. Yeah. Tell I, us about that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't uh, super planned, but it was, I we had bought this um, apartment before we were married, me and my husband, Trevor, and um, we really loved it. We were in, we're in Mount Pleasant, which is like a great city neighborhood in Vancouver. And um, everything's walkable. Like we could walk to work, walk to coffee shops and restaurants, and it's still really green and not too busy, even though it's split in the middle of the city. And um, then I got pregnant with our first, and um, the immediate reaction from everyone was like, "Oh, well, you're going to move, right?" And mm-hmm. and we felt like, "Well, maybe we're not going to move." <laughs> and and when I started saying that to people, they were like oh no, you're going to move. Like you have to. So then I started getting a bit like, like, well, I'm not going to move, but I'm going <laughs> to figure out how to do this. And yeah, I went, I searched all over the internet, like trying to find um, who was living small with a baby and how do they make it happen? It's so overwhelming having a, like you're about to have a baby and you don't know what's going to happen or how your life is going to change. And I just got really stuck in this, like, we're going to figure out how to stay here. We don't need a lot. You know, we're not, we're not super material people. Like we're going to figure this out. And um, I couldn't find a lot of information about people living small with kids, except for like some home tours on like apartment therapy or some other websites, but I couldn't figure out the ins and outs of how people live small with a baby or a kid. And so I just started, we just did it. And it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as everyone thought it would be, or as I thought it would be. And we just sort of adjusted and we didn't bring a lot of things into our home. And we edited our possessions more than anything um, to make space for the baby. And um, we added a wall bed after, I think uh, Theo was about, six months or nine months, I've sort of lost track. And we, we ordered a wall bed and installed it in our living room and then gave, um, Theo our bedroom. Was that a big game changer? Huge. Like, I I don't know if we could have stayed here without it. I know some people stay in a small space with putting their bed in the middle of the living space, but for us, it gave us the feeling of having a two bedroom, even though we were just in a one bedroom. Um, and yeah, that changed everything. And then from there, we just like kept, kept editing and kept prioritizing like what really mattered to us. And, and then we had a second kid. 
um, three years later. And again, everyone was like, well, you have to move. (laughs) No, we don't. Because now, you know, when you've already been through that, like, we survived crawling, like we thought, oh, once he crawls, we'll have to move. Or once he walks, we'll have to move. Or once he, you know, starts getting in the cupboards, you know, and it's like, we made it through, like, everything's a phase. And once you adjust to that phase, then you realize like, oh, it's, it's fine. You know, we get outside, we use the community center, we use the parks, we make our space feel as big as possible. But it Um, sounds like you guys weren't just adjusting. It sounds like you were approaching it really intentionally. You know, I feel like a lot of families will be like, just wait until they all of a sudden are like, this just isn't working anymore. And then they have to either figure out a plan or bail or whatever. But you guys were like, okay, people are saying this is going to be hard. So we're going to start paring things down, start making a plan, start thinking ahead for each and every step of that. Yeah, totally. And like, yeah, if, if the baby, like, I actually think having a newborn or a small baby in a small space is actually easier because half the time you're stuck on the couch anyways, like breastfeeding and, you know, being able to just shuffle to one side of the room to get what you need is actually easy. You know where the baby is. You can hear every sound and, and get to know them really well. Um, but yeah, once they start moving, then you need to adjust. And yeah, it it has been a really fun experiment actually like and we both enjoy the challenge of it like I enjoy the aesthetics of it like how do I make a small space still beautiful and then Trevor's like obsessed with function so Mm -hmm. um he's an occupational therapist so everything has to like function at the highest level so I feel like the combination of like him wanting it to be super functional me wanting it to be beautiful and then we kind of like fight it out on whatever issue we're (laughs) dealing with at the time yeah and we get there eventually every now and then I'm like like upset that something's really bulky or ugly and like sometimes (laughs) it takes longer than I want for us to like come to a conclusion of what we're going to do with that specific cord or speaker or item or whatever but we eventually get there yeah, I imagine you guys have had to really get creative about things. Yeah, and you just realize like it, what you can live without. Like there's a lot you can live without and still be really happy and, and content. Maybe happy is like too far reaching, but like content, you know, that do you have somewhere to sleep? You know, do you have somewhere to sit down and eat as a family? Do the kids have somewhere to play? You know, that's basically what it comes down to. And, and I felt like we can do all those things. It just requires a bit of like creativity and a bit of flexibility. Why do you think we get so swept up in thinking that we all need more, more of everything? I think it's like, it's how we were all raised and, and not from our families, like from our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think somehow um, we all have that in us. Like we were just raised, maybe it's the TV culture, like, the commercials that we all grew up on. Like we just think we need to buy all the time. I think to be happy, I think it's like a measure of success still in our society. Um, And I feel like choosing to stay in this small space, like unexpectedly has made us like question all of those um, like preconceived notions of like what matters to us, you know, because I feel like it would, Sorry to interrupt, no, no, but it would also it really influence not just how you guys move through the world, you and Trevor, but also how you're parenting your kids. Because if you don't have space for things, then you ha- get to have that or have to have that conversation with your kids of why you can't buy these extra things or why they only have a certain number of whatever. Those conversations probably wouldn't happen necessarily if you lived in a really large home. And, and consistently accumulating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like we really can't. And it, it is in a way like easier to buy them the toys that they want, you know, and just naturally as parents, you want to give your, you're giving them everything you've got. And so it just becomes like, of course you want to buy them that toy that they really want or that t-shirt that makes them really excited, but we, we can't because we don't have the room. So then it sort of comes to like, okay, we can't buy them that giant toy they want because we don't have space for it. Like, what can we do? Well, we can, take them to science world or we can go camping or we can go on a trip or they can get the mini version of that toy and still (laughs) enjoy it. You know, just like, I don't know, just sort of getting that buying them things. Like we've learned as adults that like buying stuff for ourselves, it only makes us happy for a very short period of time. Right. Like that retail therapy high, like it lasts for a minute and then it's gone. And I think 
I, I could be wrong. We'll find out, right? We'll see how scarred my children are when they grow up. <laughs> but I hope that they're learning that, like, you know, that new toy doesn't actually make them happy or it doesn't, like, solve whatever problem they're going through. That, like, it's people and connection and, you know, and activity and doing things that actually makes them happy, not that specific toy that they think they desperately need. Yeah, the gift of experiences and... And connection. I love all of that. That's yeah. beautiful. They still so have toys though. Like they do. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> They're not totally deprived. No. Okay. <laughs> um, Tupperware and household items can go a really long way though. Am I right? Yeah. So true. Yeah. And like just the same, like certain toys like really work, you know, and actually entertain them. And then there's some toys that are just like, it's more the, the getting it that makes them happy and then they never play with it. So trying to weed out what are the things that like actually entertain them and create creative like ongoing play and what is just like things that they want to have because the other kid has it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it makes me think of Simplicity Parenting, the book about um, where they talk about how kids actually play longer and more in depth with fewer toys than they do with having more options. I mean, talk about our closets. That's how I used to dress. I can dress a lot more diverse in some ways, having a smaller closet. It seems counterintuitive though. Have you found that? Yes, absolutely. And I find that still, like, they still accumulate toys, you know, like grandma comes or or there's a birthday or whatever. And like, I know there's that point where they have too many toys because all they do is dump them out and walk away. And when they have less toys, then they're looking for specific things and they're playing with them and like making a big game out of them right and Mm -hmm. when they have too many they just get overwhelmed and they just like walk away and they're just jumping on the couch like they're not even playing with their toys yeah we've noticed that too we have sort of like a a threshold for mess where Mm -hmm. if a mess or the house takes longer than like five or ten minutes to clean up like something needs to change we have too much of something totally yeah and we we talk about that too I actually will say to them like okay, if, if it's too hard to clean up your room, then that means we have too many things. And mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but something I've been struggling with is then how to make the choice of what to give away and what to keep. Right now I have, I have cleaned out there. My kids have two kind of toy drawers besides baskets that have specific things in them, like a block basket, a mm-hmm. car basket, um, a magnetile basket. Yes. Um, they also have a drawer that kind of has like all their food imaginary play stuff and it accumulates a bunch of other crap because it's just like a big, you know, bin, bin, bin yeah. kind of. And so a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, I just freaked out and I took <laughs> all of stuff out of the drawers and I just put them in a bag in our laundry room and it's been there and they have not asked for it. They haven't mentioned anything. Yep. They've been doing a ton more <laughs> jumping around imaginary play and I have not had to clean up anything. Yes. It's been amazing. It's like the exile trick. But I feel bad where I'm like yeah. every now and then my daughter will get into the bag. I'll just like see her legs out of the bag, like <laughs> digging around for something. Um, and I think like, well, maybe I should bring them out there and be like, which things do we want to keep and which things do we want to give away? But I just, I worry it would be like a slippery slope of them being like, I want to keep it all. I can't say goodbye to that. How do you, you know, work with your kids to make those decisions or do you just kind of make them yourself? How does that work? I, I try to do both. So if I were you, like, if they're not noticing that bag, I would just get rid of it, like give it to a friend, donate it, whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, when they've, when they've lost track of it and they don't care, like, I don't think they remember. And, um, I do try to involve them in, in the donating or the giving away. Um, I think, I think it's helpful. I hope that it's like teaching them to let go of things and understanding. We try to do the like, okay, if you're getting something new, then what's going away or what do you not play with anymore? What are what have you outgrown that another boy or girl could or another kid could um, benefit from? And I've had them actually like give their stuff to other kids, which I think mm. I think is helpful because it's, you know, learning that process. Um, but sometimes like right now, I feel like they have a little bit too much. And I've asked them a few times, like, let me know what you want to give away. And they're really reluctant to do it right now. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this might be a time where I just like, I know what's not being played with and is just being dumped out. And I'm just going to put that in a box. And then after a month, if no one's noticed it, then it's gone. Right. You're going to save them from themselves. Yes. 
But you're, I, I just love that you're involving them in that process of self-awareness and this belief system that everything that we get, we don't need to keep forever. Yeah. And I think I struggle with that personally, where I get a new pair of shoes and I don't have the immediate impulse to say, well, I should probably give away an old pair. Right. You know, but yet I'm not growing space in my home. So right. <laughs> where's the where's the logic? I'm like missing a key habit strategy that they seem to be learning at a really young age. It's awesome. We're trying. <laughs> I'm thinking about conflict. Kelsey and I talk about the hard stuff being the good stuff. And I'm imagining cabin fever. I'm imagining mm. big emotions in small people. How does that work for you guys in a small space? How have you navigated that? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> um, when you can't run upstairs or downstairs to hide. Yeah, yeah, it. I they do get along, which is you know I don't know if that's something you can necessarily control. So I feel quite lucky that with their age spread and different genders, like that they do generally get along. But of course they fight and they have conflict. We all have conflict. Um. I try to use the bunk beds as separation. Um, so if they need a break or they need space, you know, like you go in your bed, you go in that bed, or we can separate, like one of you go in the bedroom, one of you stay out in the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that really difficult. I don't find that they separate very easily. Um, I think it's also very kid dependent. Like Theo doesn't need privacy like ever. He's very physical, you know, like he loves to be around people and he wants to be touching someone all the time. And that's just his personality. And so I'm trying to pay attention to the fact that he doesn't need a lot of space or privacy still. And he's almost six, Mm. but like May, who's three, almost three, I can feel that she's going to need some space and privacy. And when she has ever asked for that. I I'm trying to figure out how to give that to her. And then how about for you? <laughs> yeah, how do you, right. <laughs> do you need space? How are you? I mean, Kelty and I are both introverts and yes. we really have trouble. Kelty has extroverted in some ways, children that are very touchy feely, yes. very social. And I know that's been tough for you, Kel. Yeah. They, they don't understand needing space. They, they just got to be up and everything all the time, basically. Yeah. That's same for me. I'm, I'm super introverted and need a a lot of space and I feel like yeah ever since becoming a mom I don't really get that anymore and definitely in a small space you don't get it like at all I think um I've tried communicating with the kids that I need space and that's not working I don't does that work for you (laughs) uh no I mean just still just trying to state my boundaries about needing space for things. Sometimes I have to close them out of the bathroom if I just want to pee by myself for like five minutes. Yeah, And you know, that doesn't happen without them like banging on the door and crying on the other side of it for the most part. But I feel Kel that, you know, as they've gotten older and can play more independently, you've been able to just naturally have more space to yourself because they can engage with something for a longer period than they used to. Yeah, Their world's expanded. And I've changed as well. Hmm. I've I've had to make more space inside myself since I can't make it outside of myself. Yeah, I sense. totally. I agree. Like if I think of how before I had kids, I'd come home from work and I wouldn't even want to see anyone like barely speak with Trevor, you know, because I just needed to recharge and I needed so many hours to recharge. And mm-hmm. now I feel like I can recharge myself in like 15 minutes now, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've adapted to like, if I can just like, even if I could just walk out around the block by myself and come back like I'm refreshed and I can do it again. Or sometimes it's putting in headphones and like listening to a podcast for half an hour while the kids are entertaining themselves. Like I didn't get to be alone, but at least I got to be in my own world for mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. That's amazing though. That I love that idea that these traits that we think are so fixed within ourselves can adjust. They can flex a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as new moms, I remember being like, oh my gosh, like this isn't going to work. But then (laughs) here we are with, you know, three-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds and we've adjusted and they probably have adjusted to some extent too. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like to think I might be wrong, but I like to think part of the reason the kids get along so well is because they kind of have to. Like, They've had to share their toys. They've had to share their room. They've had to navigate everything together. So I like to think that the like forced space 
like we've never done a like oh this is your toy so your your sister can't touch it you know it's like you can you can have it for five minutes but then you have to give it to her like just and I feel like the space sort of forced that but I don't think it's been a bad thing for them to have to share and have to get along yeah it's like a you're living like a road trip or something (laughs) everybody gets closer from having to be in the back of the car with one another for like eight hours or something exactly they're going to be so functional and, and amazing <laughs> as adults be able to share and assert themselves and navigate be stuff. Flexible. Yeah. That's like, it's so true that you've kind of created a more intense opportunity for them <laughs> to get to know each other. And yeah, I love that. Or they'll both grow up and live in giant mansions alone because uh-huh. of how they were raised. <laughs> you never know. Um, how were you raised? What was your upbringing like? Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, how do you answer that question in a few moments? Um, I feel like I was raised, I have two brothers um, that are younger. I'm the oldest and I was raised in suburban Vancouver. And I feel like somewhat normal upbringing, somewhat uh, odd upbringing, (laughs) like a lot of love in our family and, you know, a traditional home, I guess. But we were raised quite religious at least when I was growing up it was less so when my brothers were growing up Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I feel like there's a lot of I feel like part of my desire to live in the city is like a rejection of my own like suburban upbringing it just didn't really suit me very well um my brothers loved it but for me I wanted to be you know where the action was like more art and culture and not driving all the time and so I I got to the city as soon as I could and haven't left. Um, and yeah, I think I think we had a really good upbringing, but there's still, you know, I think there's scars from any any childhood, no matter how hard your parents tried or how well they did. And I think, yeah, some of my like parenting style would be like obviously in in reaction to how I was raised, even though I think my parents you know, did a great job and did their absolute best. And they put us first above everything. You know, they really like, they really, they did their best. Yeah. What types of things do you feel like you're doing differently? Um, I think like growing up in quite a religious, like Christian um, background, there was a lot of rules and there was a lot of, um, you know, a bit of fear-based Um. I don't know if it was parenting tactics. Yeah. Yeah. And just like we were really well-behaved kids, but maybe at the expense of like self-expression or like figuring out how we wanted to be in the world. So Mm -hmm. I think I've gone a little bit the other way where I really want the kids to like be who they are and figure out exactly who they are in the world and um, yeah, express exactly who they are, not necessarily who they should be or who they're expected to be. I love that. Yeah, what are some of your kind of earlier beliefs about kids or about parenting that have changed since you became a mom? Oh, yeah, I totally thought that, like, I could pick who my kid is. So naive. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I would try to make up this, like, oh, I'm like this and Trevor's like this, so our kid is going to be like this you know, and that my kid will obviously be, of course, the best parts of both of us, right? Never the worst parts of us. (laughs) And yeah, I thought, I thought you had so much more control as a parent. I really thought that you could dictate the type of kid that you had and like, and that, you know, sort of, I feel like I really have to let go of like, I'm, I'm guiding them, we're guiding them, we're teaching them, but I can't, I can't make them who they're not and I can't I can't change who they are like I feel like they come out with their own personality and their own uh, everything and so I need to just learn who they are and how I can get out of their way in a lot of ways but also help and guide them to be like the best version of themselves but not someone that I think they should be that reminds me of our empowerment. We don't own our children. Yes, I love that. Um, very familiar. <laughs> yeah, when I read that, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, I feel it. But it took it took me a, like a year or two to kind of get there. 
Well, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like, I mean, Kelty and I talk about this so much, this idea that we're all raised to believe that we, that kids start as like blank slates and that they, it's our job to mold them and to, to construct them in a way and to impart all of these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and then how do we reconcile the reality of the little person that is not necessarily moldable? Yes. Or exactly as we predicted or expected. Yes, exactly. I feel like for me, how do we do that? (laughs) I know. I don't know. I, and I, for me, it actually like was very um, healing having a second kid. And I know that's not an opportunity or a want for everyone, but for me, I really beat myself up a lot about things that I thought I was doing wrong with my firstborn and ways I was parenting wrong and ways that I failed, you know, in, in a, a million different ways that I felt like I was doing everything wrong. And then, and I think it was letting go of those, those expectations of what I thought my baby should be like, or my toddler should be like. And by having a second kid and having that kid be so different and react so differently to my parenting and, and, you know, just be a completely different personality. And, and then I realized like, oh, like I, I can do better. I can be a better parent. I can be a better person, but that, like a lot of the stuff that I was really beating myself up about or feeling guilt about had like maybe not so much to do with me and was just like how my kid is just the way that he is and how maybe my parenting could needs to adjust to him. But that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't my fault, if that makes sense. Like, he, yeah, yeah, I didn't absolutely. make him high energy. I didn't make him not listen, you know, like it's just the heat. This is who he is. And I have to like, like learn some new techniques and learn some new ways to deal with it, but it it wasn't my fault. Yeah. That's so amazing. You came to realize that though. I mean, I think of our relationships with our kids, like any relationship in our life, like with a partner where, I mean, it takes years to get to know one another and to figure out how to work with one another and to accept one another just as they are. And I mean, you can have a 40 year marriage and still be fighting about the same things and not (laughs) accepting certain things about one another. Yet you have a baby and right away, boom, you're supposed to be like, I can completely honor this little person for everything that they are that is different or that triggers something in me. It's a really big ask right away. It really is. And a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And to not have them feel shame or judgment because they're not what you expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we really want to dig into this kind of small living with kids thing. We yeah. have so many questions. Um, really want to hear all of your, not like tips and tricks, but perspectives and systems and criteria for toys and things. Just and, a couple. Yeah. Okay. And I'm sure our listeners are pretty interested in that too, no matter the size of their home or the number of possessions they have. Um, I'm curious about hand-me-downs when you don't want to, you know, waste or overspend, but you have a small space. How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah. Good one. Um, I think with hand-me-downs, like always, like I accept them. I love them. I think I share our clothes. Like I think they're so important, especially when the kids are really little and they're not like wearing through the clothes really hard. Like it's so wasteful to, to not share them with friends and family. Um, but I treat hand-me-downs similarly to how I shop, which is I don't just like blanket accept all hand-me-downs. I'll first like ask, oh, do you want this stuff back or do you want me to just pass it on? Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully they say they just want me to pass it on after because then I can be really selective about what I choose from the hand-me-downs. So I'll, I'll already have a like I kind of have this magic number of like amount of items of clothes. And so I know that if I have like, say I want me to have like four dresses. And so even if there's hand-me-downs with some really cute dresses, but I know what she already has like four good dresses, maybe I'll take one more, but then I have to let them go. So just saying, staying strong in what I allow in the house, regardless of how cute it is or how Mm -hmm. free it is, you know, that I know that if I allow too many things in, that means um, more laundry means more decisions that I have to make on what they're going to wear, or they have too many decisions to make on what they're going to wear. And just being really careful about what is allowed in the house. That makes so much sense. And then what about the ones that like 
for example, your son has outgrown a pair of hiking shoes that you know your daughter is going to wear in two years. What do you, how do you keep those? Or do you pass those on and say, we'll just buy them again? Or what do you do? I I struggle with that a lot. Yeah, I do a bit of, um, a bit of both. So I have one box, like an Ikea box up in the closet that I keep um, hand-me-down shoes in. So yeah, shoes that I know that I want May to wear that Theo has outgrown. Um, If I feel like there's going to be a long period of time between, then I'll usually lend them out to someone else and just say like, hey, when you're done with them, can I get them back? Um, But I do that with like a full letting go. So like if they lose them, if they break them, if they, you know, I have to like, I always give with like not expecting in return because I just think it's too hard with kids to like have that expectation that they're going to give back a perfectly, you know, intact boot or shoe. So yeah, lend it out with the, it's okay for it to go. Um, and then sometimes I'll save in that box and then that box is sort of my limit. So like if that box is getting full, then like it's too much. I love that. We were just talking with one of our friends who's trying to limit accumulation of toys and clothes and things like that. And just wanted to ask, how do you deal with being gifted things? Mm -hmm. You know, especially things that you not just don't have room for, but you know, that don't have enough of the kind of form and function or um, versatility or quality. Yeah, I generally do no gifts at the kids' birthday parties mm-hmm. and no goodie bags. So I'm not very popular. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and people mostly respect it, which is nice. And the few people that give gifts usually try to be thoughtful about it being like small or really useful. Um I'm trying to think, like, I feel like in some ways it's easier for us because I'm so public about how, say, how we really, live. They really know your deal. They respect yeah. their shit. I mean, yeah. They really do. But I think everyone can get there, too. It just takes a lot of, like, communication with the people in your life, you know, and, like, you know, will kind of being willing to hurt feelings when you have to donate that gift that grandpa just gave, you know, three months ago. And then he's wondering where it is and it's gone, you know, and then you just have to say like, well, you, you know, I don't have space for that giant Hot Wheels track. You know, I only have space for this little Hot Wheels track. So a willingness to ruffle feathers. Yeah, I think so. And I know it hurts people's feelings, but then you can't, you can't make everyone happy. Like you, I can't live in this small space and also like store other people's things or accept all things that come into our house. Like it's just not possible. So yeah, just being willing. I think people are afraid to hurt feelings over gifts. And I, I feel like I'm willing to. <laughs> Does that sound terrible? But it's no, the truth. It's a different like, priority system. Yeah. And I'll often like one time on the blog, I wrote a letter, you know, at, like kind of the conversations that I've had over the years with in-laws and stuff and being like, you know, put it into a letter so that other people could use it if they want to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, But it's just, um, I find like you can tell them what you need, you know, like kids always need things. So, hey, like if you really want to buy the kids a gift, they need sandals this summer or they need rubber boots or they need a new hat or or even like they're really into magnet blocks. Those are expensive, right? So like if you could get us a new set of magnet blocks, that would be awesome. Or really like we're, we're low on Lego or or experiences like you know, um, we'd love a science world membership or an aquarium membership. Like there's so many places to go in the city, but it all costs lots of money. So if everyone contributed to that, they still feel like they're getting the kids something, but it's not like another plastic toy that's going to last for a month and then it's going to get out of the house. So you're kind of preempting their loving impulses and guiding them in the right direction. Yes. And like, I guess it's a bit of a control freak thing, but it's also like what works. Totally. We've been called control freaks and we're like, you mean discerning? <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Do you mean self-aware and yeah. intentional? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you I just feel like it's so wasteful, like all the plastic toys that don't get played with and fall apart and break. Yeah. Like it's not good for the world either. So. But I think it's hard that, you know, just like parenting being very judgmental. I think living and belongings and lifestyle stuff can be really sensitive as well. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of navigate that situation, the feelings of honoring your lifestyle, but not judging or, you know, feeling crappy about being judged by the way 
other people live and parent or by the way you do? Yeah, I think, I think I just try, I try to say that like this, this way we live is it's also, it's how we're living right now. We may not live like this forever. We've, I feel like we've gained so much from it. I feel like it's really prioritized our lives and actually like surprisingly like living in a small space and learning to live with less makes you actually kind of question everything in your life Mm -hmm. on what's important. Um, And I'm really grateful for that lens that like some, we kind of forced it on ourselves, but it's been like a really a great way to look at the world for me. You know, like if a job isn't make, isn't lining up with the values of how we're raising our kids or how we're living our the rest of our life, then like, you know, at what point are you, you just kind of need to edit all parts of your life so that um, everything sort of lines up. Yeah. I think living intentionally and trying to align is like contagious, you know, yeah. one, one facet to another. Totally. I remember reading a blog post you wrote about searching for joy in small living and how you've sort of trained your brain to focus on positive things as far as challenges rather than tough ones. Yeah. And I'm so naturally like someone who thinks of like the worst case scenario and like, yeah, looking at all the problems. And I feel like I've learned or trained myself to switch that thinking like Trevor's naturally that way. And I am not, and I never thought I could look at things differently. And like, I really have, and Mm -hmm. I credit that to this house. It's amazing. I love that. I'm I'm kind of a sentimental person and I feel compelled to save my kids art and little letters and all of these things. And it's something I really struggle with getting rid of those papers and those little art projects and things. How do you handle that? Um, I think in the past I've been like maybe a bit too ruthless where I, I just get rid of everything. So I have one like file box and that holds like, all my like taxes and anything that I feel like I have to keep a paper copy of. And then it has like, you know, the other half of the box is like that sort of stuff, like pictures and like little bits of paper and things that are like really sentimental. Mm -hmm. But recently I finally got around to um, putting the kids artwork into a photo book. And so I, I taped up their artwork that um, I had pretty relentlessly been like recycling and Trevor had been hoarding and so um it was like again one of those like touch points where it was like he felt really sentimental about the artwork I didn't but I recognized that like I might have been being a bit too harsh so I put all the artwork up on a white wall with washi tape you know in natural light and I took photos until I had like accumulated enough and I got Trevor to like pull out all his hidden art places like he'd been taking it to his office yeah he had it in his office he had it in like up high in a closet that I couldn't reach and um, and I took pictures of everything and then I made it into an art booklet so I I used like a photo service thing and they they do it in this like really great little magazine that's like very much beautiful. Um, but now instead of having like 50 pieces of kid art, I now have this skinny, beautiful little magazine and like the kids look at it all the time and they know which art piece is theirs and they're like super proud of themselves. So smart. I love that. Yeah. And so now I'm doing that all the time. Like just as I go, I just like, you know, when I'm about to recycle something, I just like stick it on the wall with the washi tape, take a picture, recycle it. And then I save it in a folder. And so when that folder has like 50 photos, then I'm going to make another. I love that idea. Even doing it with, with belongings where it's like that stuffed animal that they really liked for that time, but don't really play with anymore. Like you could take a picture of it so they could be like, Oh my gosh, it's, you know, Bonzo or whatever. Um, that's and just I was going to say that idea. for um, your like notes or your little keepsakes or whatever that you're hanging on to, like why not take a picture of it or that letter or that note or whatever, like whatever those little things are that like mean something to you, like like just think about would it be enough to like take a picture, you guys are beautiful photographers, but take a picture of it in a way that's meaningful and then save it in these little photo books. And I'm doing like skinny soft cover ones 
Like, mm-hmm. but they're still on beautiful paper, not like a giant coffee table every time mm-hmm. I have some. But that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense, though, because I think th- I mean we've gone through so many grandparent and aunt and uncle and parent boxes of things, and when you see them as separate, you're like, what do I do with this? It was That's special. Me. It kind of is now, but what the hell do I do? Yeah. And putting them all in a book is like it's this beautiful little collection that that gives them all this re- these reference points and a context and a safe place to be. I just yeah. love it. Yeah. And it's not on your computer. Cause I, I think sometimes I justify like all the stuff I get rid of because I'm like, well, I take pictures of my kids a lot. That brings me a lot of joy. And then, you know, I, I have pictures of the kids in those clothes or doing those things or playing with that toy. And it, that's a great memory. But I think sometimes if everything just ends up on your computer or on some hard drive somewhere, like I think having it tangibly to hold, but you're able to hold a lot of memories in this one small book and everyone has room for you know, even if it ends up being 10 books over the course of a few years, like that's still not a lot of space, but it's a lot of memories and magic. That was fun. That was really fun. Allison is just super sweet, so knowledgeable. I feel like we could have been asking her maybe two to three hours more. I think so. I think we need to dig deep into her blog. Yeah. I mean, she's a beautiful writer as well. So I think that is definitely an option for everybody. But I mean, you and I mentioned how we're both living in very small spaces and how that's been really inspiring, but it's been a true process and we've had to kind of, we've definitely changed through it. You know, we've changed our homes and the way we're living, but the homes and living have changed us in a way too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a back and forth connection thing. Mm-hmm. Each feeds and inspires yeah, and, and frustrates well, the other. Yeah. And I, I didn't want our talk with Allison to be all about like, let's talk about all the great things about small living and try and make it seem like that's the only way to live. I also wanted to touch on some of the limitations and the difficult things with it because you and I go through that a lot where I'm like, oh my God, I cannot live in this tiny house again. Yeah. And I have to remember, wait, I live on a farm. I have all Checking these other things. Checking with the values again. Yeah. Right. Kind of get back to the the why behind all of it. Yeah. But I think all, all of the benefits, there's a flip side to that that just makes it trickier. Like mm-hmm. I feel like you're so proud, Hannah, because you live in a 700 square foot house with two kids also, of how much you've had to pare down, how much you've gotten rid of that you really don't need, how you've streamlined processes and organizational systems in a way that people with more space just don't want, really need to. And I never did before you when totally I had more didn't. space. But, I remember but, moving into our house and when we had Roy, I, I was like, I remember telling people like, you know, we might move into a bigger place because like this can only last so long. Yeah. Like there wasn't a whole playroom just Most for her. Most people don't or, keep downsizing as their family grows. Right. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like steps common. back, but like in so many ways, it, you're right, Kel, we have upgraded our quality of life yeah. and standard but, of living with downgrading our square footage. But it does also have its hard sides. Like yeah. we didn't really get to talk with her about entertaining and play dates and kind of the flip side of that pride and that conviction in the, this way of living is sometimes having people over and feeling kind of sheepish or shy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say embarrassed, but it's like, we don't have a TV. We don't have a separate TV room, a separate playroom. We didn't, yeah. we didn't even have a bedroom. We had a wall bed in our living room for your, a while. Your mother-in-law's you know? sister called it is like Ina Hovel. Ina Hovel. Yeah. She said it was like a hovel, like literally like a hut. Yeah, um, which it kind of is, and I think I. I think learned, you thought that was pretty cool, and your mother-in-law was like, "Not she cool, was not cool." <laughs> um, but it is. We call it the cottage because it yeah. is. It is very cottagey. Um, but I think that, based in our culture's value system of more is better, bigger is better, I find myself feeling that dissonance sometimes, and I mm-hmm. have to get back to that value of like, wait, why are we here? We're here to be doing what we want to be doing with work and paying less money. Mm -hmm. We're here to be building community and sharing our families together. And that is more important than a bonus room or having more shoes or any of those things. It is for you. For me right now. Well, but that's what leads me into this idea of, you know, we barely touched on it with Allison, but that idea that I've, and I've heard her say this before, good for her, not for me. That, you know, this whole small living thing is, is very, it's popular right now. Marie Kondo is doing the whole simplification thing. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, in some ways trendy, but that's not what Allison's about. And that that's what I really like about her. It's yeah. about just honoring whatever works for your family and just getting more intentional and more aware of what you're doing and why, right? Yeah, I love that. I feel like parenting and lifestyle stuff, as we said with her, can be really judgment-filled. And what's 
inspiring to one person can be intimidating to another. What's helpful to one person can be harmful to another. Yeah. We talk about that so much in the parenting culture too. You know, and we spoke about it a bit at the end of Jessica Murnan's episode, just how do we look at new ways of doing things, new ways of building a home and a family and, and be inspired and not intimidated and, and take it for what it is, which is new information and see how we feel about it. Well, yeah, it's just, I think back about why our space is so tied to our sense of self-worth and our emotional equilibrium. Like I will, I will get down on myself a little bit if my laundry room mudroom is like in a total shambles, I'll feel really negative about it. And I've been trying to kind of unpack those beliefs I have where nobody's seeing it. It's just the fact that it's there. And I'm like, did I get like shamed about cleaning my room when I was little? And like, or it's just this idea that like a person my age should be able to do something. Like what are those limiting beliefs I have that make me feel really bad? Or is it just the the experience of having something being really messy that just doesn't feel I don't functional. Think, I don't think that that's a know. problem. I think that everyone has a different threshold for messiness and disorganization. Ours is pretty low. And, <laughs> and I think that the real discomfort comes in the fact that our time is also mm-hmm. very low. And so we don't always have a chance to tackle those things when we'd like to. So that, and that's a, a sense of helplessness. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's for sure. And I think I wanted to talk a little bit with her as well about that sense of helplessness. Like even if we can be acknowledging less is more ourselves, we then have to bring our kids into this. And we have those mo- those helpless moments in mm-hmm. the toy aisle or wherever where they're like, they're not on board with that all the time. They're still learning. They're still kind of exploring these values that we're, that we're living. And it's so hard when they're like, I want this, I need this. We, we didn't mm-hmm. really get to talk with Allison about how she handles that. I imagine she has a system about it because if she, if we're mindful about how we want to spend money, how we want to accumulate things, how we want to use things, then I'm imagining that that would also lend itself to how we talk to our kids about whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we we need to go through our toys before we move on to something else. You and I talk about adding things to a wish list because we don't always like to buy something right away because we may have something like it at home. We might not actually need it. It might just be kind of a novelty or exciting. I think that's been one helpful you know? thing for us is we set out with a list if we're mm-hmm. shopping with our kids, which we try not to do very often. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not on the list then we're not, you know, it's just not on the list today. And yeah. we'll add it to the wish list to consider and to think about. That's yeah. been helpful a little bit. Yeah. But I just, <clears throat> I want all of us to be considering that talking to someone like Allison, it can make us feel insecure and can make, we can look at her blog and be like, my place is never going to look like that. Or I don't want my place to look like that. And I think that the idea with this, at least for us, was that what, she's modeling for us, which reminds me of our episode last week is not to do things a certain way or buy something in particular, but just to get in touch with what matters to us and to be curious and to do experiments on our our living and our family and our parenting. So we can just get closer to what resonates well with us personally. There's no one right way to go about it. I was going to say, I think that that it just involves asking why and Mm -hmm. exploring how something feels and what it means. And it's just an ever evolving process, not a means to an end or the way to having a perfect life. Yeah. I think, you know, clutter to one person can be comfortable to another, you know, and even me personally, I've changed over time where something creative and pretty is now like chaotic to me. And mm-hmm. so I think that we just have to be open-minded about other people and about ourselves. Open-minded and in touch. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Visit 600sqft.com and sign up for the newsletter to learn more about Allison and her approach to small living with kids. Also find her on Instagram at 600sqft and a baby to follow her home, family, and intentional living examples. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on our conversation with Allison. So please DM, call, email, or contact us through our website, upbringing.co. You can also subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. That'll make us really happy. We would love that. Yeah, we've gotten a couple sweet reviews lately. Lastly, you are doing an amazing job. We're so proud of you. And we're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time. And now for the lullaby bye portion of our show. 
created in the hopes of inspiring us all to personalize our song singing experience with our kids. Yes. If our kids are going to sing someday, we got to be singing someday. Right now. Exactly. (laughs) That's my logic. You should move your microphone up to actually by your mouth. That'd be good. How's this? Oh, that's sweet. Okay. Um, What do you have for me today, Cal? Well, I was thinking in honor of the fact that we are missing our fucking ELO concert Mm. this coming weekend. We bought tickets uh, to go with our mom to see Jeff Lynn, one of our favorites, sing. Decided to go to Canada instead. It was our only... Prince Edward Island called. Yeah. So I thought we'd sing a little... Well, at first I thought I'd do one of my ELO standby lullabies. But I think I'm feeling a little more traveling Woolburys today. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to just do Handle with Care. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. And it's it's a George-heavy one. But Well, for those favorite. who don't know the traveling Woolburys, can you give like a little introduction or a little something? <laughs> you just like jumped a mile. What did you see out it the window? It was a big bug okay. coming for me. Uh, the traveling Woolburys is a group formed by Jeff Lynn, Roy Orbison, George Harrison, Tom Petty, and Bob Dylan mm-hmm. in the 80s. I think they just like to jam together a lot, and sometimes they recorded it, and yeah. it's amazing. They would just write stuff on the fly, and some, you know, each song was kind of led by one or two of them, it yeah. seemed like. Yeah. yeah. And uh, did they even tour? I don't think I'm they did. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. But maybe we'll find a good video to, to link up in the show notes as well, so you can get a sense of it. But I've always liked Handle With Care. And I think about it just as a parent when I'm singing it. Like, mm-hmm. please handle me with care. And I'm going to try to handle you with care. <laughs> and I'm sure all the guys were writing about it more in terms of like the harshness of the the music industry and navigating that together. But Or just know. life in general. You yeah, never know. Absolutely. Um, so that's why I'm going to sing. Okay, great. Can't wait. Okay, here we go. I've been beat up and battered around. I've been set up and I've been shot down. You're the best thing that I've ever found. Handle me with care. Reputation's changeable. Situation's tolerable. Baby, you're adorable. Handle me with care. I'm so tired of being lonely I still have some love to give Won't you show me that you really care Everybody's got somebody to lean on Put your body next to mine and dream on I've been uptight and made a mess But I'll clean it up myself, I guess Oh, sweet smell success Handle me with care 